Hello and welcome back to the Bible Companion series with P.H. Thompson. This is Exodus chapter 14. Verses 1 through 4, God leads them into danger. The Israelites have left Egypt in ruins. The country is virtually destroyed by the first nine plagues. There were no crops and almost all the livestock are dead. They've seen their gods were powerless against the Lord God of the Israelites. The tenth plague was the worst when the firstborn of every family, person and animal, died if they were not sheltered under the blood of the sacrificed lamb. Pharaoh had agreed to let them go, no exceptions, no conditions, and no negotiations. But now God redirects the Israelites to another area. They are to turn back and encamp between Migdol and the sea, directly opposite a place called Baal Zephon. He did it for two reasons to protect them from war with the Philistines, and so that Pharaoh will pursue them. God seems to be leading them directly into danger. Pharaoh has been keeping up with their travels and will hear they are trapped. The Lord tells Moses, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. God knows what we think even before we think it. Psalm 39.4 says, Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. We would have thought Pharaoh was done with hardening his heart, since he has capitulated. But God knows Pharaoh will regret what he's done in allowing over two million people to leave his country. This was most of his workforce of slaves. But God reveals the reason for this final hardening. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. This was the twelfth reason for God working in this way. So the Israelites did this. They obeyed. The stage was now set for the final showdown. Verses 5-9, through Pharaoh pursues the Israelites. The people who had been so anxious to have the Israelites leave Now we're anxious to have them return, even by force. We're told, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took six hundred of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. He found them just where God had sent them. Verses 10-12, through 12, Second Complaint to Moses Imagine you're the Israelites. You've finally left Egypt and slavery behind. You think you're free. Then you feel the ground rumbling and look up to see the Egyptians bearing down on them, marching soldiers and chariots by the hundreds. These chariots were his best. They were an intimidating military machine. They had marched out boldly. Now they were shaking in their sandals. God knew that an early war would discourage them. Even though they outnumbered the Egyptians, they were terrified and wonder if they're going to be killed by these soldiers. The sea is in front of them, and there are no boats or ferries to carry them across, and they can't swim. 
At first they cried out to the Lord. Then they complained to Moses for the second time. Was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They can't see any way out of this situation. They are between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. But they actually talk like slavery in Egypt wasn't such a bad thing. At least it was preferable to death in the desert at the hands of the Egyptian army. Had they forgotten how God had protected them during the plagues, in particular the final one? Verses 13 and 14, Moses calms the people. Moses says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Moses turns their focus back onto God. They weren't being expected to fight against these soldiers. God would do the fighting for them. He would continue to do this throughout their history. They should have known it was not an even contest when the Almighty God was on their side. All they had to do was watch how it would be done. They were promised deliverance. The Egyptians they'd see today would never be seen again. The God who saved them would continue saving and sustaining them. Verses 15 through 18, prepare to cross the sea. Moses takes their complaints to God, but this is not the time for despair or hopelessness. He had already promised deliverance. They had only to obey. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Then he tells them how they will be delivered. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. This rod that had been used so many times in the other plagues will now divide the water. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. This is the thirteenth reason God is working in this way. God fights for his honor over the kings of the earth. He is the king of kings. Verses 19 through 20, keeping the enemy away. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Here we see the angel of God associated with, but separate from the pillar of cloud. He and it now move from leading in the front of the congregation as an advance guard to protecting it from behind, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. This was no ordinary cloud, but represented the presence of God, and changed its composition depending on which way it was facing. To the Israelites it was light throughout the night, to the Egyptians it was darkness, and would have seemed like a whirlwind or sandstorm that functioned as a wall that prevented the army from advancing on the Israelites. Verses 21 and 22, 
the Red Sea divided and crossed. So what happened next? Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it uh, into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The fact that God used the natural phenomenon of wind to accomplish this miracle does not make it any less miraculous. Wind doesn't usually split an ocean in two, creating a dry road where muck used to be and making the liquid water stand upright on either side like a wall and continue to keep it upright. We're told here several times that the ground was dry. I can imagine how terrifying it must have been to enter that unique road and see the water being held back by the power of God. They had no option but to go through. Pharaoh's army was still waiting to attack behind the cloud, and it would take the whole night to get the large company through. Verses 23 to 25, God fights for his people. By morning, God lifted the cloud. The Israelites were almost through when Pharaoh's army pursued them into the sea road, which must have been an astonishing thing to see when the cloud lifted and allowed them to pass. God looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. The ground was still dry, so it's not that they got stuck, but God jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. In some versions it says God took the wheels off their chariots. That has become a phrase used for when some complication happens in the midst of a pursuit or project. They'll say, then the wheels fell off. So here they are, kept back from pursuing the Israelites all night by a cloud. Then they see this roadway through the sea, through which they are escaping, and they follow in after them, as ordered by Pharaoh, and then they have car trouble. Uh-oh. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from these Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. By now they know this God of the Israelites very well. This was the fourteenth reason to show that God fights for his people. Psalm 78.13 says of this event, He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. Verses 26-28 through 28, Pharaoh's army defeated. With the Israelites now safely across, the feeling of dread by the Egyptians now turns to terror as they see Moses on the far shore raise that rod up over the sea. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. This was thorough, like the reversal of the earlier plagues of frogs and flies. Some versions use the word overthrew, giving the idea of a military victory. Isaiah 43, 16-17 says, This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Nehemiah 9:11 says, you divided the sea before them, so that they passed through it on dry ground. 
but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. Joel Fick calls this another example of a redemptive irony. Pharaoh had thrown Israelite boys into the Nile. Now God threw his army into the Red Sea. They could have left Israel alone, but didn't. Now they wanted to flee from them and couldn't. Verses 29 to 31. What just happened? But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant. Again there is a distinction. The obstinate Egyptians are defeated. The trusting Israelites are safely on the opposite shore. The faith is a result of what they've seen. And as the magnitude of their deliverance sunk in, they feared God and finally trusted Moses, who is now called his servant, which is a designation that will carry throughout Scripture. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads do we find in this chapter? Pharaoh regretted losing the Israelites. Satan does not want to lose his prey. The pillar represented the angel of God, the presence of God, and the Lord himself. It led and protected them. Jesus was this angel of God. Jesus leads and protects his people. The pillar was darkness to their enemies, but light to the Israelites. God's justice is terrifying to unbelievers, but mercy and grace to believers. They were told to stand still and watch God fight for them. We cannot save ourselves. The New Testament pictures the passage through the Red Sea as synonymous with baptism. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The passage through the Red Sea marks a turning point, a beginning. Baptism does the same. Moses is called God's servant and Jesus is God's servant. The overthrow of the Egyptian army is a picture of the final defeat of all the enemies of God and his people. Continue listening for Exodus chapter 15. May God bless the study of his word.